right, we're in Revelation again, and we want to turn to Revelation chapter 11. Jason shared last week about uh, the importance of God's Word in our lives from Revelation chapter 10, and we're still in this interlude period between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet, and we see in this passage, we see and are reminded that God has appointed witnesses to share with the world that is spiraling into oblivion to help them find hope and how they may find hope in Jesus. In a way, this passage tells us of things that have happened, are happening, and will happen. Most and a lot of revelation is like that. And in the midst of all of that and the way we've approach this entire book, we realize there is something here for us now, for you and me in this moment. Not merely what we look forward to or look back on, but something for us today to grasp and understand and be gripped by. There's something for us to do with this word, with these scriptures, there is a response that you and I must make that we must have. Now here we realize in this passage that we are the Spirit-empowered people of God, the Spirit-empowered church, ecclesia, called out ones, and we have Christ as our cornerstone, and we are living stones that build a new temple, the dwelling place of God's Spirit in us, in the church, in you, in I. God dwells in our midst right now. In this moment, the Spirit of God is empowering us to be who He's called us to be, who he's made us to be. Right now, the Spirit of God dwells in this room. And in you, if you know Christ as Savior, and Jesus has said, as he said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that we are his witnesses. We are his witnesses. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the utter parts of the earth, to the ends of the earth. Can I just say to begin with, this is a difficult passage. I've said that a lot in Revelation. We've said that a lot. And here's why. It's, dif it's difficult because it has competing imagery rooted in the Old Testament texts. And if you're not careful, it can kind of make your head spin. I'm going to do my best to point out those passages in the Old Testament and how they inform our understanding of this text and ultimately help us to see our job of being witnesses for our Savior in the mess of the world in which we live today. Would you join me, if you're able to stand, would you join me by standing to honor the reading of God's Word in Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Then I was giving a measuring reed like a rod with these words, Go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count those who worship there. 
but excludes the courtyard outside the temple. Don't measure it because it's given to the nations and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. I will grant my two witnesses authority to prophesy for 1260 days dressed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone wants to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and consumes their enemies. If anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. They have authority to close up the sky so that it does not rain during the days of their prophecy. They also have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague wherever, whenever they want. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. If we read this passage of Scripture and did not understand the Old Testament allusions, then we would have difficulty in understanding what this passage is helping us to see what is happening in this interlude period between the sixth trumpet judgment and the seventh trumpet judgment. So my hope and my prayer is that by looking at the Old Testament unlocking it, unfolding it before our eyes that we can understand this passage better and understand what our call is today for you and I to do. The first thing that we see in this passage is that God dwells within His gathered people and protects them from the surrounding danger. We actually looked at this theme in the New Testament in our most recent Series called This Is Us. We looked at the establishment of the church, the ecclesia, the gathered people of God. We looked at that in the first week by looking at Jesus' declaration in Matthew where Paul Peter says, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, that's the thing that I'm establishing my church upon and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then the second week we looked at how God empowers his people by the Holy Spirit to accomplish the task that is at at hand for us. And then the final week we looked at how Peter understood and helped us to see that we are a people. We are people put aside for his possession, used by him to accomplish a witness to the world. And we see here that same mission, that same theme, that same understanding that we as those who, in whom the Holy Spirit dwells, those in whom God himself has given power to because we are his people. We've been saved by him. We've been transformed by him. He dwells within us and protects us from the danger that we face every day by standing in him in the world gone mad around us. We see that John is asked in this passage to measure the temple. Now some believe this temple is a temple yet to be built, and that may be correct, but the New Testament is pretty clear on where God dwells. He does not dwell in a house made of stone. He dwells among a people that are living stones. We looked at that in 1 Peter 2 just a few weeks ago. He dwells within 
a people. Let me remind you, this is not a new thing. This is not a surprising thing. This is a, a biblical thing, a biblical theology for under, us to understand that now in the new covenant, by Jesus' blood, he indwells a people, a people that is now his dwelling place. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17 says, Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple? And that the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. God's temple is holy, and that is what you are. Paul continues in 2 Corinthians, reminding the Corinthian church about God dwelling with them and in them, and he says, And what agreement does God and what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And God said, I will dwell and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Peter, let me remind you what he said in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5. He says, as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, we are the place in which God dwells. And because we are the place in which God dwells, we have at our fingertips right now every blessing that could be imagined given to us not by our own works, not by our own righteousness, but we have at our fingertips the riches of Christ and what he's accomplished. We have an inheritance simply by being associated with Christ as our Savior. We have his Spirit living in us, and we have all the blessings of heaven at our fingertips. I heard a story this morning, and uh, I thought it was a great illustration of this. And the guys I heard it from are going to know that I'm talking about them. So I'll just go ahead and mention their names. I was, uh, I was um, making the coffee this morning because our coffee guys were sick. So I figured out how to do that. If you don't like it, don't worry. They'll be back next week, okay? So I was making coffee, and I was sitting there as a D group was happening. And, and uh, Coach uh, Chandler, Scott Chandler, was there, and he's talking about his uh, game that Butterbean went to. Now, evidently, at these games, uh, they are well known for their fish sandwiches. Is that right? Okay, and he's, he's, he's amening that already, so it must have been good. And so Scott went ahead and told the folks that prepare these fish sandwiches, hey, I've got a guy coming, and we need three of those. It wasn't all for Butterbean. It was a couple other guys, too. Right? And so they had three fish sandwiches available for them. Well, I love this story. It's wonderful, and it's a great illustration of this because Butterbean shows up, and he says, Hey, uh, Coach Chandler said, I have three uh, fish sandwiches reserved for me. And this little lady, I think, who's the one who prepares them, she comes in him. She gives him a seat of honor. She places him to the side. Evidently, he got to jump the line, right? And someone is a little upset about that. And they say, hey, why does he get to go? And she says, I got tickets right here. This guy is coach's friend. And so he jumps the line. He gets to go to the front of the line. Some other guy walks up and says, hey, who's the guy over there? And she says, that's coach's friend. He says, can I get you something to drink? Can I take care of you? 
You see, Butterbean went there to receive blessings, and because he was associated with Scott Chandler, they were all available to him in that moment. He was waited on hand and foot, and that's the same as it is with us. It has nothing to do, they didn't know who Butterbean was. In fact, some people are a little upset about that, right? Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? But as soon as they heard the name Coach Chandler, they said, we love our coach, and any friend of our coach is a friend of ours. And you see, we have at our fingertips the blessings of heaven, not because we've earned them, but because Christ has purchased them for us. Yes, praise God. We have that available to us because God dwells within us. Jesus is in our midst. He dwells among his people, and his people is the church. Living stones, a spiritual house, a people for his possession. And John is asked to measure this temple. And we must look to Old Testament Scripture to understand this. I want you to see what Zechariah 2, 1 through 5 says. It'll be on the screen, but you might mention it, uh, mark it with your Bible as uh, well. And what we see is that when the, old te- when, when the temple was measured in this way, they measured it to see what they would need to protect. Zechariah 2, 1 through 5, I looked up and saw a man with a measuring line in his hand. I asked, where are you going? And he answered me, to measure Jerusalem, to determine its width and length. Then the angel who was speaking with me went out, and another angel went out with him. And he said to him, run and tell this young man, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because of the number of people and animals in it. The declaration of the Lord, I myself will be a wall of fire around it, and I will be the glory within it. You see, we are measured. This is measured in this moment to protect it, to protect the temple, to protect the dwelling place of God, to protect those in whom the presence of God dwells. In this passage, we see that the fact that the outer court remains unmeasured indicates that conflict will continue to happen all around God's people. Danger is lurking constantly, but God is protecting. It's not that we are insulated. It's not that we are made safe, but we are protected. We've been talking about spiritual warfare for several months on Wednesday nights, and I've seen it in so many places as we've studied Revelation and so forth as well. The fact of the matter is that there will be, there is a war raging all around us. Oftentimes we don't even see it. I'm reminded of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 that says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. You and I face danger in this moment. Danger uh, is lurking all around us, yet we are protected. We are not made safe, necessarily, 
doesn't mean that it just ends. It doesn't mean that it just goes away. It doesn't mean that we're insulated and that we want to take any blows. But at the end of it all, we are protected by God Almighty because we are his dwelling place. And what did he say? What did it say in 1 Corinthians 3? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and that is what you are. God protects you and I. Following Jesus can be dangerous. It is dangerous. But it's worth it. There is an organized enemy surrounding us at every place. But what I love, what happened in Zechariah 2, it says that God will be a wall of fire to protect us. Jesus protects us with his armor, and we must put it on daily, as Paul reminds us in the remaining parts of Ephesians chapter 6. We are protected by him in the midst of the surrounding danger. The second thing that we see in this passage is that God's witnessing people stand in his power prophesying while the world presses on them. In verses 3 and 4, we hear of two witnesses who will speak the word of God boldly in the midst of danger and turmoil. The church are the lampstands bearing light for Jesus according to the first chapter of this book. We see that each church had a lampstand lit by God to shine the light of Jesus into all the world. And we look to Zechariah again in chapter 4, and we dig into what John understood by understanding the Holy Scriptures that he had for himself in that moment, which was the Old Testament. And we see John's mindset in the Old Testament that it was written firmly on his heart as he described what he saw. And Zechariah 4 gives us the same imagery of these lampstands. I want to read it to you. Zechariah 4, 12 through 14. And I questioned him further. What are the two streams of the olive trees from which the golden oil is pouring through two golden conduits? Then he inquired of me, don't you know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. These are the two anointed ones, he said, who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. And what we see in this passage in Zechariah, speaking of Zerubbabel and the high priest Joshua, who were empowered by the Spirit, and that's what the oil represents, that they were empowered, anointed for what the task was at hand. They were empowered by God to be the witnesses, to be the lampstands, to be the light for the world to see. And that's what the church is. We are the light of Christ, empowered by the Spirit. A lampstand shining light with olive trees, providing oil for its light. The olive trees representing the anointing of Zerubbabel and the high priest Joshua, in this case in Zechariah. And in Revelation, the Holy Spirit is anointing the church to stand as witnesses while the world presses in on them. The Holy Spirit gives us power to stand today. Whomever these witnesses may be, and trust me, there's ideas galore. You, you, you could spend, in these six verses, you could spend weeks trying to dig into all this imagery and 
what it may mean and who these may be and all these things. But it is of note that in this moment we currently live, we are his witnesses. And Acts 1.8 shares that with us to help us see. And we bear his name to a world that is pressing in on us and we must stand firm no matter what comes. The third thing that we see is that God will prove his message is true through his witnesses and ultimately overcome the world. God will prove his message is true through his witnesses and ultimately overcome the world. In this passage, not only do the examples of Zerubbabel and Joshua rest on those witnessing for Jesus, but so do Elijah and Moses. How do I know that? Because I know my Old Testament scriptures, and when it says in verses 5 and 6, if anyone wants to harm them, fire comes for their mouths and consumes their enemies. If anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. They have authority to close up the sky so that it does not rain during the days of the prophecy. We know Elijah prayed and God gave him that ability to close up the sky that it did not rain for three and a half years. And it says also in chapter, uh, verse 6, they also have the power of the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague, whatever they want. And we see that the power of Moses, uh, the power of God through Moses is represented there. John would have understood the imagery as he shared, and so would his readers have understood that. Elijah prayed to shut up the sky, and rain didn't come for three and a half years. Moses was used by God to bring plagues upon the Egyptians to show them who God was. And those signs in those days were used to show the watching world that God was who he said he was, and he would do what he said he would do. And God uses us today to display his power, to show the world that he is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. And what did he say in Matthew? He says, the gates of hell will not prevail against my witnesses, against my church. When we live out our faith individually and collectively as a body in the midst of pain, strife, and suffering, we are showing the world who Jesus is and that his message is true. We'll see that even more as we look at this chapter. We're going to split it into three, three sections to see through the suffering and through the perseverance of the witnesses. That's what compels the world to change. So, how do we respond? We respond. We respond by trusting in Jesus to empower us to stand no matter what comes our way. We respond by saying, Jesus, we know that we are with you and at, your, at our fingertips because of you, we have every spiritual blessing, every heavenly blessing 
right available to us because you dwell in among us. You, we are your people. We are your people for your possession. And we stand sharing who you are with the world to see. And when trials come and when strife comes and when difficulty comes and we're still standing in your power, then the world will be compelled to give validity to what we live and the way we live. Now, if what you heard is that you've got to leave this room today and you've got to be more devoted to Jesus and you've got to do a list of things and you've got, well, I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I've got to do that. I've got to stand in my own strength. I've got to stand in my own power. I've got to stand. If you think that, you miss it. We love to do that. I talked with a cousin last night who, who, who was, was talking to me and, and, and concerned that he had somehow lost his ability because of all the things that he had done. He had lost his ability to be in the favor of God. And I tried to say to him, if you thought in any way that because of your own strength and whatever you could do, to fix it or to mess it up that you had God's favor because of something you did you missed it we must rest not in what we've done we must rest in what Christ has done for us that's where the power lies so don't walk out of here and think, well, I got to do this better and that better and this better and that better. Walk out here today thankful for what Jesus has done and that when you go, you bear his name and it's his name that gives you the blessings. It has nothing to do with you and I. It has everything to do with him can we just worship him today and listen if you're here today and you want to trust Jesus Christ as your savior please please come I'd love to pray with you that would be that would be the highlight of my year it would be so exciting to me come if you need to make any kind of decision for the Lord you, you want to God's leading you to be a part of this church you, uh, you want to ask for prayer anything you come but can we all just worship him today resting in the fact that he has accomplished what we couldn't in our own strength we can never do but he has and that in him and in his empowerment we can stand and face whatever the world brings our way we are witnesses to this world because of him and in his power would you stand let's worship him today let's ask him to have his way